believe 60% is the latest number of, of, high, of high school knowledge learned before graduation is forgotten before college years or early adulthood. So the fact we're drilling and inculcating our students with these, these facts for really no purpose. What's up, everybody? My name is Ish, and I'm the founder of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss the future of higher education, including online trade schools, boot camps, ISAs, and so much more. This week's conversation was with Garrett Smiley, one of the co-founders of Sora Schools. Sora is basically rebuilding high school from scratch. They've completely built a new way for students to learn in a fully virtual environment. And in this conversation, we dive deep on how they're thinking about instructional design and preparing students for college. If you're a regular listener, we'd love for you to give us a follow on your favorite podcast player and a quick review. It really helps get the word out. With that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, everyone. My name is Ish. I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually, and today I'm joined by Garrett Smiley, the co-founder of Sora School, uh, an innovative online high school. Garrett, so awesome to have you here today. Would you be able to introduce yourself real quick? Definitely, yeah. Like Ish said, I'm Garrett Smiley, co-founder of Sora. Sora is an innovative online high school that's been around for, at this point, about two and a half years. So even before the pandemic, we took a, took a bet that we, we thought the best high school in the world would be online first. So. Then pandemic later, here we are growing. Try, yep. <laughs> that's that's super funny, Garrett. I, I think uh, I have a similar sentiment because it's uh, it's today is March sixteenth. Uh, I actually left Facebook to start virtually almost exactly two years ago. So it was it was I left on March eighth and I started virtually on March eleventh, uh, and it was also pre pandemic. And so this idea of like remote learning was just so foreign. But right. to me, it, it was so obvious. And, and for me, the insight came. I remember I was like trapped in a winter storm in Seattle and, and Seattle can't really handle a lot of <laughs> snow. And so uh, a little bit of snow in the entire city just shut down. But it just kind of became obvious to me in that moment is that like, hey, like, you know, conferencing is kind of getting good. And yeah. if it continues at the rate it is, you're going to be able to use it for more than just like, you know, hanging out with friends, talking to family, even the business use case. And the biggest kind of use case that I saw was education. And I just, it kind of clicked for me that if you could remove geography as a barrier to learning, you can make it way more accessible, way more affordable. Uh, and and the next two weeks later, I quit my job to start kind of working in that space. And, and so that was kind of the insight that led me to virtually. But, you know, I'm really curious, what was it for you guys? Like, again, you were, like you said, it was pre-pandemic. And so you guys took this bet uh, and you guys were on Zoom before it was cool. So <laughs> how'd that happen? Way before it was cool. And I think I can talk you a little bit through our thinking, but I think even more than just making it scalable and accessible, it makes the product of education better because you can have more people in the room, different people in the room, uh, diverse learning environments or the best learning environments, right? So when you're not restricted to the geography of 10 miles around a physical location, the educational opportunities become really insane. And Ish and I were just riffing before this about Clubhouse. That's kind of the thesis of Clubhouse too, right? It's, oh, you're not just having a conversation. You're everyone from the world can join in uh, talking about a topic, which is where the, the serendipity and the um, vast experiences make, make the experience much, much better. Yeah, totally. And, and I'm, I'm curious, with, with online education, there's people working on all parts of the stack, everything from K to 12 to colleges, undergrad, 
retraining, reskilling post-graduation. Why did you guys pick high school? Yeah, high school is just the forgotten child of education. No one, everyone thinks, okay, it's high school. It's time to get serious. It's time to test prep. It's time to do all these, you know, AP courses, all the boring stuff that, you know, efficacy studies aren't showing us to really be worth our while, but we're too afraid to change it. So we just noticed the landscape. I've been deeply interested in education for a long time. I was a teenager uh, touring schools and learning about progressive pedagogy, which was weird. Um, so <laughs> education's always been one of my primary interests. Um, but it just became it just became really clear to us that. Sorry, what was what was your question? I didn't want to. Yeah, why why tangent. high schoolers? Oh yeah yeah. So for high school, it just became really clear to us. Um, that it was the forgotten child of education. You know, everyone said, okay, high school is the time to get serious. This, don't mess it up. Do your AP classes, do your SAT tests. Now is the time to get serious. But all the research of the last 20, 30 years are showing us that uh, all that was really happening was students in the high school years were becoming a lot more anxious. Their depression was up five times from the last 50 years. Some studies say even eight times higher. So what the status quo, what we were doing in the high school years just wasn't working. And not only was it not working for their mental health, <laughs> which is terrible, it also just wasn't achieving the ends it claimed to want to achieve, such as knowledge retention. So knowledge retention, we saw that I believe 60% is the latest number of, of, high, of high school knowledge learned before graduation is forgotten before college years or early adulthood. So the fact we're drilling and inculcating our students with these these facts uh, for really no purpose because they weren't even remembering them. Or I say we were stuffing facts away in a file box that was never could be opened. So it just became really clear to us that those insights around how broken high school was combined with, as you were saying, the, the um, progression and the improvement of online uh, remote work technologies and online communication platforms like Discord was just becoming a thing when I got really interested in this. It just became clear that the best high school in the world for the next hundred years was going to be built online first. The education engine was going to be online. Yeah, that's super interesting. And and one of the things that I talk a lot about, actually, yeah, I, I rip on colleges a lot. And, and we can kind of go back and forth in terms of debating the ROI of college. But one of the reasons that I found that college just doesn't work for most people is to come into this mind state or mindset, which is I'm here in college to kind of explore my interests, maybe figure out what I want to do. But the problem is, is college is expensive. And if you spend your entire four years just exploring what you might want to do without kind of hard data, you come out drastically underprepared for the real world. And, and so I found that the people who have the most success, the people who actually get value out of college, which, by the way, only 27% of people who actually graduate college actually utilize the degree that they got at college. And more than Crazy. half of college graduates are either un unemployed or working a job that doesn't require a college degree. So clearly, like, there's something that's broken there. But the people who are successful, I mean, it, it is transformational for them, right? I think, like, they, like, I mean, I know for me, I, it's just, I was lucky because I was in kind of a STEM career. And so I was able to come out of college, land a really high paying job in technology, working at Facebook, but not everybody's kind of in, in that industry. And, and so the people who are getting the most value from what I saw were the people who knew what they wanted to do going in. And so college seems to be most useful when it, you treat it as a way to go deep on a specific topic. But the thing is, most people coming to college don't know what they want to go exactly. deep into. But I feel like that's the purpose of high school. 
And and I know we kind of started even earlier in kind of K through 12, but I think like this doesn't seem to be a primary goal of high school, but it should be is to like making sure that people have adequate opportunities to explore career paths so that once they get to college, they don't have to spend three, four years exploring. Maybe it's it's just one year or one semester and then they can go deep and actually reap the rewards of in-depth learning. Definitely. I 100% agree. And one of the things that made this point click for me, I believe I was in my high school years when I first read this study, but the longitudinal studies that came out of the first Sudbury school in the Northeast, I believe it started in the 70s, where what they found was these students, and for those who are unfamiliar, uh, the listeners who are unfamiliar, Sudbury schools are basically, uh, for lack of a better description, free-range kids. They just say, do whatever you want. It's basically daycare with educational toys and uh educated people there to answer your questions, but they have no set curriculum. Students can do whatever they want, largely. Um, What they found by studying these kids, they expected them to be entirely unprepared for the next step of their life. What they found is students actually had higher uh, traditional metrics of success, even including college GPA. And the reason why that is, is even though they were behind, like don't, let's not get it wrong, they were behind in academic subjects compared to their peers, they, when they got to college, it was likely something that they chose for themselves to be interested in. And that fuel motivated them to um, study and pretty quickly catch up and then eventually surpass their peers. So uh, this is something I saw constantly at Georgia Tech (laughs) and something that I was uh, a victim of as well, which is there's this culture and I'm not sure ish where you went to school, if it's a similar, you know, STEM culture, but I just constantly saw people were pushed into this career field because they were the smart kid. You know, they, they did good at math. Their parents encouraged them and they got pigeonholed as a smart kid. So they aced their tests. And this describes me largely as well. We aced our tests. We were supposed to, we got to school doing some sort of engineering, no idea the relevance of our classes or even why we ended up in engineering. Right. I had this thesis. I knew education is something I wanted to impact the world. And I, I was very interested in entrepreneurship and its ability to quickly improve the world, but I didn't see any relevance between my step in college to achieving those ends. And that's just such a common sentiment among my both my peer group and my acquaintances that I met in college. So it would just create this extrinsically motivated uh, fear avoidance robots where they just cram before tests and then do large, like nothing else for the rest of their time because they had no interest driving them in the meantime. So it became, it's pretty easy to imagine even at a school that's quote unquote rigorous like Georgia Tech, although <laughs> I'd argue it, it isn't. Um, students who have a passion that can fuel them throughout, or at least just a deep interest that can fuel them in the interim moments between tests, you know, an interest that uh, they can fill the time between cramming. I can easily see how they could catch up with, um, even if they were a little behind in the traditional subjects. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm, I'm curious, what is like the approach you guys are taking with Zora schools? I mean, it's not a traditional high school education. It's not like you have, uh, you know, this subject uh, and you're meeting, you know, five times a week and your mastery is based on, you know, tests and quizzes. You guys are taking a really different approach. Maybe, maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So Sora has a unique thesis um, and that, that thesis is that we should trust the science that we've made a lot of, of um, improvements in educational research and, and um, pedagogy in the last, call it 30 years, really since the mid eighties in the U S we've learned a lot of stuff about how both memory learning um, and how structured learning, AKA schools should work. And we've implemented 
almost none of them as a, as a society. Like school is still being run based on traditions that were created by, you know, 10 rich guys many hundred years ago. So really what Sora is trying to do is take these, and I can talk about what these are in a second, but take the main findings um, from educational psychology and educational research and just apply them to, to high school. It's not that complicated. And so some of our findings or some of our main tenets, one is that schools should feel relevant at every step of the way. So how do we do this? And psychologists might call this um, internalizing our students' locus of control, meaning we want students to feel like they have the choice and they see the relevance for everything that, that they have to do or have chosen to do. So how that looks at Sora is we have our students every month choose different quote unquote classes that we call expeditions or learning goals or essentially what they do every month is reselect which educational opportunities are exciting for them. This allows them one, to feel like they have choice over their life because most students and why we're seeing such, or one of the reasons why we're seeing such an increase in anxiety and depression in traditional schools is students just feel like they're being dragged along, you know, the, the path of a, of a curriculum and they have no idea why it's happening. Um, so they feel like really they have no ability to control their own life. And we flip that entirely on its head where we say, okay, students, um, you have all these skills that you need to learn in your high school journey. And we have 300 something of them and we track all of them on, on a four point scale. But then we say, okay, here's all the opportunities you have to get them. Choose whichever ones are most exciting to you. And that's terrifying at first for students because they're like, I've never had to make a choice in my entire life. <laughs> you know, it's this uh, scary, scary moment for them. But once they develop these skills of, of autonomy, it, it's just a much better learning environment. Or at least that's what our students tell us. So that's one of our core tenets. We do a bunch of other things like project-based learning, for example. That's a way that you can just show students relevance in learning. We call it just-in-time learning because, oh, I have to solve this problem. Um, I should learn this thing. It's not learn this thing because eventually you have to solve a problem. That's not really how human brains work. Um, so it's about showing them, okay, here's a problem you're going to solve. You need to learn to figure it out. So project-based learning is a big one, um, as well as just spaced repetition and interleaving. Um, spaced repetition interleaving. So traditional schools really encourage cramming, which is probably not a new revelation for you-ish. <laughs> um, Students cram is just what most students do. And that's horrible for memory. We've known for many decades now that that massed practice is horrible for future recall. So at Sora, we have this approach where every skill is judged on this um, four point progression, zero to four. And that allows students to, for almost every skill, space out their interactions with it over many months or years. So for example, the first time when they get one star, they might just be watching a YouTube video. And then a two star, they may be uh, writing an essay about it. And then three star, they may be um, participating in a debate that's happening. And then four star, we consider four star like um, post, like graduate level. So like post undergrad level, four star, they might be organizing a, a class about it. So having these different interleaved, which is a learning science term, which we can dive into if, if your audience would like, but um, having these interleaved experiences spaced over multiple years is just way more effective for learning and future recall. So those are, I guess, three core tenets of Sora, although we have many, many others. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is so fascinating. I, I, there was a couple of things you mentioned that I thought were just really cool. I think one of the things was around um, project-based learning. And 
I think the reason that I love that is this is this is one of the big failures about education is you you're just like dumped all these tools on top of you and you don't actually know how they will work for you at some point. Uh, and so even in college, I feel like I took this one entrepreneurship marketing class that I think would have been stellar for what I'm doing today in terms of running virtually, but I don't remember a single thing. It's because the education was delivered at the wrong time and I didn't have a way to right. apply it then, so it never stuck. And so this idea of project-based learning is so key because if you pay, if you learn a tool and know how it can be applied to solve a problem, it's actually likely to stick with you. And you've created a path that you're going to be able to reuse in the future. And most learning isn't like this. You're given the tool without actually seeing how it applies. So that right away, I love to see that you guys are innovating there. I'm also curious is like, what does graduation look like for somebody going through Soros school? Like, like obviously you guys aren't like the traditional school in that like, hey, you got to get, you know, this score, this GPA, these class requirements. What is it? What do you have to accomplish in terms of like mastery across these different skills to graduate from Sora? Yeah, so one of the reasons why people are so excited about Sora is because we spent multiple years putting in the legwork to get a major accreditor, um, WASC, the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, to actually recognize Sora's transcript as equivalent to any other private school that they accredit. So they accredit prestigious private schools such as Stanford University. So we have the same marker a stamp of approval that um, really any other prestigious private school does. And how we've done that is uh, not by really making any compromises. Instead, we have pretty sophisticated software that allows every single student to have an individualized learning plan tracked back to those skills that I alluded to previously. So every single student has these 300 plus skills and skills are basically like the standards you can think. They're a little different, but the standards you would hit during a high school education and on day one, we say, okay, in your dashboard, go look at these 300 skills. You can see the, the rubrics for them, what every star level means. And students on their first day of high school understand deeply, here's the map I need to complete. So we call it the skills map. Here's the map I need to complete to graduate from high school. It's really clear in front of them from day one. And then it's up to them. They have experts and accounts that are working with them every week, but it's up to them to go, okay, um, I'm hitting my learning pace, which is a metric we help students visualize, which is if you have to go from here to here. So if you go from zero skills to all the skills in four years, how many skills, how many stars do you need to gain um, per month? So we help students, every student has their own graph on their dashboards. They can see what progression they need to make. Um, but besides that, it's just about students identifying which learning opportunities are most exciting for them. And then we support them. So it's about identifying their, their passion, whatever they're excited about. And then we try to fan the flames and support them and hold them accountable to their own goals. Who are, who are the teachers for Sora and how, how have you gone about sourcing them? We have a lot of different teachers, different teaching functions at Sora. Um, in terms of how we find them, we've been lucky thus far where Teachers are very excited when we tell them, oh, you get to create expeditions, which are like our short classes around anything that you want. Like if you're interested in it, I guarantee you're going to be able to recruit one student to be interested in it as well. So it's this environment where people, even our teachers are chasing their interests, trying to share what they think is interesting about the world with the next generation. It's a really inspiring, really exciting environment. So we had hundreds of applications for every teaching position we've put up thus far. So we have not had that much trouble finding them. Um, in terms of who they are, we have one role, which are called experts. And these are teaching professionals, been in the 
the field for a long time. And they're hosting these active learning expeditions, which is like basically a short college class. You can think of like a really small, like liberal arts, like eight kids sort of thing, two to three meetings a week with pre-reading, pre-work before, active debates, labs, discussions. We just had an expedition dissect a shark. So stuff like that. Um, we ship it to their house. So online learning can have physical stuff too. <laughs> um, so that's an example of an expedition. We also have what we call guides, which are graduate students in university who work with students on specific subjects. So for example, a student might go, I have a learning goal, which is another concept at Sora. I have a learning goal that I want to finish algebra one by December 20th. Like they can just set, here's a day, here's what I need to finish. And then we assign them a one-on-one -on -one tutor, which we call guides to work through them um, with that. We also have the third function is what we call advisors, which are industry professionals, like really impressive industry professionals from NASA and, and all, these, all these impressive backgrounds who are willing to work with the students for uh, usually, usually two times a week for a couple hours in small groups to help them through their project-based learning. So really helping the students identify what world-class work looks like in a project-based environment so we don't um, so we don't fall back to the arts and crafts projects, which, which plague some project-based learning schools. Yeah, Garrett, one of the things that's going through my mind where you're talking about kind of this, the Sora student experience and student journey is, is the fact that every student is kind of sets their own kind of trajectory and sets their own goals, which is really cool. But at the same time, how do you make it collaborative? How do you make Sora collaborative given the fact that people are at, students are at different places? In, in their journey? It's a great question. That's something where this issue, not issue, this opportunity, I should say, of scale becomes powerful because the network effects, this is less of a school, more of a startup term, the network effects that come with building something like Sora is the more students that we can bring on, which is something we're focusing on now, helping more students, the more likely any particular student is to have a friend or someone in the program who's very similar to them, right? So as we're seeing these our expeditions increase in number as our school size grows and the projects um, become more diverse. We're noticing that students are able to more organically pair up and work with someone who's interested in similar questions to them. Um, yeah, but even for things that are individual learning goals, individual projects, most students still enjoy those as well, but we're just seeing the number of those in percentage to group projects or group learning goals go down. Yeah, that, that's super interesting. And I'm also curious of, of the students that are participating. Do you feel like these are traditionally people who were in kind of homeschooling in middle school and then they seem to have a very kind of natural transition to something like Sora? Or have you found that a lot of like a big percentage of your students are actually people who are switching from in-person learning to online learning? In the early days, so if I'm answering for two years ago, most people were coming from a homeschool background. I'll say all of them, I think, in the first, oh, except maybe one. So almost all of them came from a homeschooling background. But nowadays, now that we're starting to become more credible, people are believing the crazy things that we talk about all the time. Um, we're seeing perhaps even the majority of our incoming class coming from a public school or a traditional private school. So we're starting to make inroads. But the question that we're looking at now is how can we identify the students who've put a lot of the social, emotional, life skill legwork that's required to be an independent learner um, have learned that already. So identifying the programs um, 
because there are a, a larger number of innovative or progressive schools for the younger years. So it's about identifying those students who are able to operate with some semblance of autonomy so that we don't have to take the months of legwork in the beginning to teach a student that. Although in the future, and even now, we're learning that it is possible. It just takes time. Yeah, totally. And, and I guess one thing that I am very, very curious about is given this kind of very alternative method for high school education, how do you guys think about college readiness? Making sure people are ready for SATs and, and ready to take on the rigor of a college curriculum. Yeah, our students are certainly ready. So we, besides the fact that they just engage with these skills, which are the exact same skills you would expect in a um, traditional program, they're learning largely the same stuff, just in a different order and different ways. So they're ready from a content perspective. Um, in terms of being ready for admissions, we do the exact same thing most private schools do, but don't talk about. We prepare students for standardized assessments. It's terrible, but it's what you have to do. Um, so our students are prepared to get accepted to, to university. And now it's not just uh, it's not just empty talk from me. Our students, our first three seniors, we accepted a very small senior. Uh, I guess that would have been a sophomore class two years ago. Um, they're getting accepted to college, new acceptances every single week. So clearly colleges are accepting this mastery transcript that we've created. They're excited about it. Um, and it's translating into results. That's spectacular. Well, Garrett, we, uh, we, I could go on for this topic for hours, but unfortunately we are out of time with that. Are there any last minute plugs you want to give, uh, in terms of how the audience can learn more about Soros schools and keep up with you on social media? Yeah, I don't know about any last minute plugs, but if you'd like to learn more about Sora, just go to soraschoolsplural.com. So with an S at the end. Um, I'm on Twitter if you just want to search Garrett Smiley. I love talking about education. I'm not super active, but I always find myself in fun conversations there. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you all. Yeah, well, awesome, Garrett. This was a super fun conversation. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. And that was Garrett Smiley of Sora Schools. If you're interested in learning more about Soros Schools, go on over to soroschools.com. And if you're interested in building your own online cohort-based course, check out what we're cooking up at tryvirtually.com. You can check out our platform, which has support for payment processing, live classes, student management, and more. And if you enjoyed the episode, would really appreciate a follow or a review on your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out. With that, this is Ish, signing off.